What's going on, coaches? Hopefully, you guys all had a great week. Uh, really excited. NFL draft is coming up. Uh, excited to watch that. It's going to be a lot of, uh, I would assume, trades and uh, quarterbacks taken. One of my you know, most exciting things. Hopefully, uh, we've got a tight end taken in the first uh, five picks for the first, I think, for only the third time in the last uh, like 50 years. So excited to see what all goes down with that. Uh, Coach Walls has been working really hard on all of his play action shot videos that he's putting up on our website. Again, you can guys can find that, our podcast, all of our merchandise, uh, articles, all of that over at runthepower.com. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Legend Rings. As coaches, we all know the best way to represent our big win is with the championship ring. And the team at Legend Rings wants to help you celebrate your regional and state championship title this season. Their goal is to make your championship ring purchase simple, easy, and affordable from design to delivery. Check them out at legendrings.com or email info at legendrings.com to get started. Let them know that Run the Power sent you and they will make your ring for free. Again, go check them out at legendrings.com. This episode of the RTP podcast is brought to you by our guys over at Just Play. The team at Just Play hooked us up with their product, as you guys know, uh, and it's been a game changer for us. If you've seen us on Twitter or uh, have talked to us about this at all, we obviously especially love the playbook tools that allow us to create our favorite blocking schemes, as you guys know, power, counter, inside zone, pin and pull, uh, and formations, so we can save time and be more productive. That's the biggest part. Saves time on defenses, saves time on, on inputting offensive uh, formations, and then easy to draw the play out. Just Play is a limited time offer for RTP listeners only. Get my Just Play Pro for $120, which is an unbelievable $60 off the normal list price. Uh, this offer has been extended uh, and won't last forever. You can get this deal at JustPlaySolutions.com slash RTP. The best playbook tool on the market at JustPlaySolutions.com slash RTP. Don't wait, go do it today. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder provides strength and conditioning software to high schools around the country. Whether you write your own programs, have a full-time strength coach, or need training programs, Team Builder can make your program better. Right now, Team Builder is offering a 10-week off-season football training program with a two-a-day speed and agility program. This template even comes with videos from some of the top SEC strength coaches that will show you how to run your weight room. Visit their website and enter the code RTP to get the off-season football training template and start your 14-day completely free trial at teambuilder.com. Again, enter code RTP at teambuilder.com, which is teambuilder.com. On this episode of RTP brought to you by Legend Rings, we talk with George Mahoney. Coach Mahoney is a football coach and analytics advisor for Modern Day Prep in Middletown, New Jersey. Listen as we talk to Coach Mahoney about the question on most coaches' minds, how do we combine analytics with high school football? We also talk about special teams, the importance of big plays in a drive, and the surprising correlation of having an efficient first play of a drive and scoring on that possession. You can follow Coach Mahoney on Twitter at MahoneyADVTrain. Hope you guys enjoy. I'm excited for this one. Uh, Coach, uh, Coach Holler had really talked you up, Coach Mahoney. So uh, we're excited. And like I said, the, uh, 
the the subject too is something that I'm always interested in. So I, I know, you know, Harp and I, the, the original reason we did this was, you know, to, to learn a lot about football. So I'm excited to, to hear some of the things that, that you've kind of found and, and give us a little bit of the secret sauce, man. Coach Hall is a pretty dynamic guy now. So, so I'm not, I got to live up to, so this is rough. <laughs> you'll, you'll be fine. <laughs> well, coach, let's go ahead and get it rolling, man. So kind of how, how we always start this thing is, you know, kind of introduce yourself and, and kind of give everyone, you know, your, your background, your, your journey, if you will, um, you know, football wise and, and, and how it kind of brought you to where you are now. Yeah. So uh, George Mahoney, I started, uh, I'll say my, my higher level of football career playing football at Columbia University. I was a walk-on, grossly undersized. And as a walk-on at Columbia, I basically felt like I was a walk-on every single year. So every new recruiting class that came in, I, I was basically behind every one of those guys that came in. I was slow, small, weak. I, I tried my best in the gym, but those guys all had this athletic advantage on me. So for me, even as a, a college athlete, I always felt like I needed another way. I needed another way to compete. I was studying film, uh, trying to hide behind big offensive linemen. And I really wanted to take that mentality with me as I went to become a coach right out of college. So I went and coached high school out of college. I did everything from special teams coordinator to defensive coordinator to head coach. And in, in terms of just football and life, the other part of life that's gotten me into data analytics was you know, working with my dad on his heating and air conditioning truck, I just spent so many hours of my life in waste, waste, waste of time traffic in Staten Island, New York, a waste of time waiting for customers, waste of time waiting for parts. And I just felt like my life was being taken from. Me. Now, while I'm doing that, I'm also working my job in corporate America. Uh, I'm also coaching football. And then as a defensive coordinator, I'm breaking down film. I think I got everything square rooted. We get into the game and, and everything that we had mathematically correct. It didn't happen. You know, that offensive coordinator just decided to change what he was going to do. And all that an analysis that we did, it just felt like more waste to me. So I was really always trying to figure out what is the least amount of work that I can do by focusing on the critical few things that can get the most amount of output. And it's really led to this, I'd say, it's almost 20 year journey of getting to where I am now. And I feel like I got another 20 years more to figure out even more based on the stuff that we find. Cause it's like under every rock there's worms and he's just keep digging a, a deeper and deeper hole with the analytics. Well, coach, this is something, you know, like, like uh, coach wall said, we've been excited to have you on and, and I've had, you know, five or six coaches that I, that I really, you know, think a lot about and, and every one of them talks to me and says, Hey, you got to get an analytics guy on here. We got to have someone talk analytics. That's, you know, that's kind of the way of football. What are, you know, and this is probably too broad of a question, but what are some of the, the big analytics that you look at that are, you know, almost cherry picking that, that not many people know about? And coach, I want to take one step back. I know uh, some people will talk to me and think I'm a math guy. Some people will think I'm a, a football coach. And I say the thing that helps me the most and what I've been doing recently is being able to work as a translator, a translator between math guys who know the analytics inside and out and football coaches who actually have to execute with this information. So and another thing to think about is that it's really impossible to change people's mind with numbers. So I'm not going to spit out a lot of numbers here. If you're on the fence about analytics, you may get converted over to believe in this stuff. If you don't believe at all, I probably won't sway you at all in this conversation. But so a lot of the things I'm going to talk about today are, are really, they might be too high level. We can get into as deep as you want. We can go as deep, as deep as it possibly can get, but I really don't want to confuse people in the conversation. So the first things I'm going to say, it's going to sound extremely simplistic, but this is, this is what I believe the key to winning a football game. And you're going to say, wow, this is really simple. It's having the football 
having time to score when you have the football and then uh, scoring when you actually do have the football. Let me say, coach, this is simple. We don't need a podcast for this. But if I told you, hey, the way to get ripped uh, is to sleep eight hours a day, uh, breathe properly and eat the right food, you'd say, I already know that. But information isn't the key, right? If information (laughs) was the key, we'd all have six packs and be billionaires. So it's really about what do you do with this information? So those three things sound simple, but they really aren't as simple in the execution of what people are doing when it comes to a football game. So coach, I'll just ask you, is there any one of those three things you wanted to dive into more? Because again, it's very simple, but it can get super complex. And again, it was having the football, uh, having time to score when you have the football and then scoring when you actually do have the football. Yeah. Having, you know, What'd you say the first one is having having the football, right? Yep. Okay, that's what I want to go over. I, I'm I'm still, and I'm not sure where this fits into into the analytics. I think it's having the football, but you know, um, I'm still enamored by what happened in the. And I'm not here to second guess NFL coaches because they're way smarter than me. So I, I at first I want to say that, but I'm still just kind of almost perplexed of what happened in the Super Bowl. To me, you know. Chiefs were down eight, nine, we're down 11. There was five minutes left to go, you know, to me, and, and the Bucks had one timeout, right? They, they run all the way down to, I think, a minute and two seconds. I've got the clip uh, saved somewhere. A minute, two seconds, the Bucks only have one timeout, and the Chiefs get it in the second half. And, and to me, okay, that was awesome. I know they would have li- liked to score, but at the end of it, they could field goal. Now they're only down eight. They get it in the second half. Let's run, let, let the Bucks run the clock out and we tie it up in the very first drive of the second half. Instead, they call some timeouts, they try to get the ball again, and they let a guy like Tom Brady go down the field, uh, score one more time on him. And, and, you know, to me, help put that game out of the reach before the second half even started. So, where would that, if at all, where does that fit into, into the big three? Yeah. So coach, you're spot on. It's like, I, I love that middle eight, that Belichick, you know, they say he always takes advantage of that middle eight, the last mm-hmm. four minutes of the half and the first four minutes of this, the next half. So I, for me, that's a, a combination of having the ball and having time to score. Now, a tool that we've been using at, at high school, I know you can't use it in college in the NFL is we're using edge varsity. So what it's doing is on a play by play analysis, it's telling you your win probability. And what I realized really quickly after the game was over, was that your win probability was always higher in two scenarios. One, when you had the ball, so it didn't count. People say, oh, we had a great drive. We drove 95 yards. We, we, maybe we turned it over on fourth down, but they, we pinned them at their own five. Too bad. Your win probability went down. So if you lose the ball and don't score, it's, it's a failed drive, no matter what. The second thing was, if you have the ball for a longer period of time, like let's say there's 10 minutes left on the clock in the second quarter, uh, or there's two minutes left on the clock in the second quarter, and you have the ball, your win probability goes up. So essentially, what I'm I'm saying to simplify this is, when you have the ball, your win percentage is higher. And if the other team doesn't get the ball back, it's actually eliminating their chances of winning. So if you have the lead, what you really want to do is slow down and just keep the ball. Because if they never get the ball back, they're not going to win. So back to that middle eight, to your point, yeah, if they could have eliminated that last possession from the Bucks, it would have increased their chances of win probability. And, and it's all relative, but I'm just looking at one of our games. We had a, a, the relative win probability of holding the ball for six minutes was the same relative win probability of scoring a touchdown. 
So by no talent, takes no talent to hold the ball for six minutes. Just take the full 40 seconds on your, uh, on your play clock, you know, th- run the ball or throw high percentage passes, but doing something as simple as that, it's the same as scoring a touchdown, which could take every bit of talent and every bit of coaching you have. Sorry, coach. I'm, I'm writing down fast and furious here. I got notes and stuff all over the place. Like I said, that's always goal number one of, of RTP, right? Harp and walls get to learn first. Um, <laughs> hey, and the other thing pro- I'd say, it's just our podcast, to link to that. right? Yeah, absolutely, coach. Absolutely. I, the other thing I'd link to that is that field position, at least in the, the data analytics I've been looking at, it's a myth. So I'm not saying it doesn't matter but it doesn't matter nearly as much as people want to think it does. So they'd be very willing to punt the ball to pin you, assuming that, well, teams score less when they have the ball at their own 10-yard line than when they do at their own 40. But the data I'm looking at, at least for our games, it's not even close to being true. So I'll just I'll spit out a number here because we're talking data analytics. When teams get the ball inside their own 10 in the games we looked at, they score one-third of the time, one out of three times they score. When they got the ball between their own 40 and 49, they scored 14% of the time. So we're trying to figure out why is this? Like, What could possibly make this happen that you score more when you get the ball at your own 10 than if you get the ball at your own 40? Part of this study came from, just to, to piggyback on that a little bit, was when I was a special teams coach, I was a really big fan of onside kicking. Not even for just the fact of being able to recover it, but I was a big fan of ruining that other team's week of practice because now they're all they're thinking <laughs> about is recovering an onside kick. They're never going to have a kickoff return for a touchdown. So we start doing it, but we start not recovering. People are saying, this is stupid, man. We're giving the ball in great field position. We can't do it. So I'm, I'm obsessed with it. I go through all the data. I look at every special team kickoff in the league, not just our team, but everyone in the league. And I see that teams are starting to score less when they, when they recover an onside kick. So I'm thinking, well, what's the risk in this? Like, let's onside kick every time. Maybe we'll get it, maybe we won't. But the fact is they're scoring less when there's an onside kick. And it really opened the door to a lot more questions and a lot more answers about what's actually happening on a scoring drive. And I, I've, you know, I, went, I flew down to Arkansas. I talked to Kevin Kelly after I had gotten this data. And we, we had had some conversations online about it saying, you know, there's really a combination of what makes a team score. One of the things would be the, the, the length of a return. So imagine a kickoff return, you kick a, a touchback, right? You kick it through the back of the end zone, a team gets the ball in high school at the 20 yard line. Okay, the length of the return is zero. Now I kick a ball to the one, the guy catches it and he runs 20 yards. The ball still ends up at the 20, but now teams score more after they have a longer return. So what we figured was like things in motion stay in motion. So if people see motion, the offense comes out with this, this positive thought in their mind and then they're ready to move the ball more. So that leads back to the onside kick they didn't get any yardage. Maybe they get the ball at the 37-yard line, but they didn't get any yardage. So now this offense comes back with a, man, they haven't seen motion, so they're not going to continue to move things in motion. I, I, I love this. Um, and I think, you know, I, I have the question too. I mean, I guess it's not really a question, but almost like a comment. But it's like, it seems to me when you talk about like the analytics, like I think the big hangup is like everybody probably gets caught on, like you're just describing, the, the why behind that. Right. You know, why does this happen? Why does this occur? Rather than just kind of looking at the data and looking at the numbers like, hey, the the numbers say this. Right. This is what history has told us. Here's what the analytics tell us. It doesn't really matter why. You know, I don't I don't really have to dissect that. I think you get you get paralyzed almost when you sit there and think, why, why, why? Well, what about this? And what about that? And, you know, to me, you're kind of living in the past, living in the future rather than it's like, hey, man, 
a lot of the numbers tell me to, to do this. And if I just kind of follow some of these things, a, a lot of this should almost kind of take care of itself. Like, you know, like you're describing the law of inertia, you know, objects in motion, stay in motion, you know, things at rest will stay at rest. That That's like my thinking as, as I sit here and listen to it, there's, there's so much of the paralysis by the analysis of why, Hey, who cares why the data says this, <laughs> let's try it. You know what I'm saying? So coach, you're thinking like a logical, rational human being. And I think the truth of the matter is, is that rational people aren't rational. They think they're rational, but they're not. And the math guy, the math guys say that. Why are you just not listening to this information? Look at my baby. It's right. Just do it. And the football guy is saying, I'm going to find a hundred different ways that your data is wrong. You can make the data say anything you want. So for me, the angle I've taken, again, you talk about a translator, uh, there's two angles I've taken. One, I, I need the behavioral science to help try and justify the why. I need it. So, for example, we found that something at high school with like an offensive penalty almost eliminates your chances of scoring. Why is that? So talking to offensive coordinators are saying, well, I call plays differently after a penalty penalty. I'm a little nervous. So you talk to a high school offensive lineman. I'm freaked out over what happened. Now I can't concentrate anymore. Okay, that's a pretty good reason why. So if if that's the case, if you causing an offensive penalty uh, makes you not score as much, then why are you trying to get a defense to jump off sides? And if you look at it, at least in our games, if the defense jumps off sides and it doesn't even lead to increased scoring, well, that's a lot of risk for really very little reward. So what are you doing? And think about how much practice time it includes for you to say, here's, here's the call we're going to go on sound. Here's the call we're going to go on one. Here's the call we're going to go on two. Here's the call we're going to go on three. And then you practice it all week. You practice it all camp. You jump off sides and boom, now you don't score. Is it really worth it? Probably not. Uh, the other part of this, so the second part is when when you do these data analytic type of conversations, what's worked best for me is, is telling stories, like using real game situations with PowerPoint pictures and videos. I hardly ever shoot out numbers. Uh, and then the other part was letting people trip over the truth. So what I just told you about offensive penalties, I had, a, I had a unique situation because of the pandemic where I got to coach at a different high school for a few months with my mentor, who was an open-minded guy, and he's really into data analytics at, at both the NFL and the high school level. But I didn't come in and say, hey, offensive penalties are going to kill your drive. I actually had to let it happen and then do a post-game report with the guys and say, this is an offensive penalty. We didn't score. This is an offensive penalty. We didn't score. Now in practice, if somebody goes off sides, you got to lose your mind. you got to act like it's the end of the world. You don't just say, hey, line up. Let's do it again. Like most coaches, we want to be efficient. We want to rep out plays as many times as possible. But now when that kid jumps off sides, he ruined it. He just threw paint on your Mona Lisa. Coach, so so that was, you know, you've already talked about it several times, you know, being that translator. What is it that you found that that makes so many football coaches just hate analytics? I mean, there's some you know, obviously there's some guys that are open minded, but the guys that really disdain or really dislike it. What have you found that that are those big roadblocks, mental roadblocks for those guys? A lot of people are they they are where they're at because of the things that they've done in their life. So if you go against that fabric, you're challenging who they are. In some some instances, they think it's gonna it's kind of like a you know a, a car that drives itself. Truck drivers are like, well, I'm not gonna have a job, right? It's replacing me. A coach may think this thing's gonna replace me, or this thing's gonna replace my intelligence, and we're gonna value the data, fake data, over what's actually coming through. So I, I think it's just being vested so much in what you've done that you don't believe the data. And they have plenty of reasons why uh, there's been bad data in the past. The other thing I'll say is that if you think about gambling, 
let's, let's forget about football. Let's talk about uh, you go to Vegas. Successful gamblers, what they do is they're playing the odds, and maybe they'll be at a table for a while, and they know they're going to win seven out of ten times. If they lose the first two, they don't get up and walk away. They sit and they ride it out because they know they got you know the next eight or seven or eight attempts they're going to win. But if you're a losing gambler, the second you lose the first time, that's it. We're not doing it anymore. So if I tell you to go for it on fourth down, because more than likely, if you do, you're going to win, and you don't get that first fourth down and you walk away, well, now you're not in it for the long haul. You know, you got on the roller coaster with me, but now you want to jump off as soon as it gets scary. So there, there really is a lot to it. I just think that people, they need to figure it out for themselves by very specific examples that happen to them. And what I do like to show that helps is like, yeah, we should have punted. Okay, you did punt. Now you punted the ball. The team got the ball their own two. Great. You could put them in bad field position. Oh, by the way, here's what happened. They just drove 98 yards for a touchdown and they ran out the clock and you lost. So you, you almost need to show them the before and after of the decision, but they have to trip over the truth themselves. I love it. I, and I think you, you talk a lot about, you know, the behavioral science. I mean, that's the other part, the, the psychology, you know, hey, it, it doesn't work. You know, it, we, Harper and I have talked about it a ton of time. It's, it's that fear. You know, the, the fear paralyzed you, you know, fear causes you to, to not listen to things, fear causes you to make rash decisions and things like that. I think, and, and not only does the coach have that fear, it, it just seems like as well, that bleeds into the rest of the team. Whereas if you kind of have that gambler's spirit, you know, Hey, it, it, it happened. It is what it is. You're going to lose every now and again, it happened, but we're, we're playing the next play or we know we're going to get it later on. I think that confidence and, you know, that belief also bleeds over to your players as well. Coach, you hit on a great point, man. But the fear part is, let's talk about the fear of a head coach. If you go for it on fourth one, fourth and one, and you don't get it, your chances of getting fired are much higher than if you punt the ball and the team gets it and goes back and scores a touchdown, right? Being contrarian, you're more likely to get fired. The other part on the flip side of that and what's helped with edge varsity, and I got this advice from another coach that I reached out to who was using this successfully. He said the biggest thing for him was that it helped him coach without fear. Say he went for it on fourth down and the tool said, do it, but they didn't convert. He said, well, this tool's smarter than me and I don't need to coach the rest of this game second guessing myself and being super conservative because I think I made a bad call in the first quarter. So it depends on what side of, you know, what movie you're watching, but if you're watching the movie where this tool's smarter than you and it's making the right choice, it's going to actually lead to less fear and more confidence as you go on through the game. So coach, you talked about it. Uh, I believe if I'm, if I'm, you know, tracking this correctly, uh, one of your points was having the ball or, or is that time of possession? Is that bigger chance if we've got the ball for a longer period of time or is that having the ball during certain moments of the game? Uh, what is the, you know, can you, can you dig a little more, you know, a little deeper into that for me? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So having <laughs> the ball to me, and again, in the high school level, I don't have the, the definite statistics on time of possession. I was just thinking in the simplest term, be greedy. Don't give them the ball. So let, let's talk about it on like the simplest of simplest, the turnover battle. Everybody talks about it. You got to win the turnover battle. But how much time do you really spend in practice? Every practice, every single practice working on turnovers, either securing the ball or forcing a turnover. How much time have you dug into your data to find out when and where do the most turnovers occur? What down? Uh, what's the down in distance? Which way is it happening? Is it on a pass play or a run play? Is it on a strip tackle or is it on a, a blitz? Are you figuring this stuff out? 
and dedicating as much, if not more of your time to that than anything else. You can have the, the worst scheme on earth. Guy can break a 15-yard run, but if you rip the ball out of his hand at the end of it, who cares, right? So to me, it was that great. But then take it over on, onto this next level. When you are, have the ball punted to you or a kickoff return, the goal is not this long kickoff return or a long punt return. It's to get the ball back. So if you're going to fumble a punt, which a lot of high school teams do or they can't field it anyway, then why you try, you just get the ball. Stop giving the other team opportunities to get the ball. And then the last thing would be a turnover on downs. So a good coach that I coached with, he said to me, coach, that's a turnover. I never really thought about it. But yeah, anytime you give the other team a ball, it's a turnover. So what am I going to be, do to be great on fourth down? And if it's third and eight, and I know that I'm pretty good and I, my goal rate is on fourth and two, well, then I don't need to go for third, it's for nine on third and eight. I just got to go for six. So what am I going to do as a coach or as a team to get really great at this turnover on downs battle? So for me, it was a matter of, hey, we got, we got our team. We're going to go best of seven, one versus ones. It's third and nine. You got two downs to get a first down. Let's go. Losers got to clean the field. So we, we really harped on that. Uh, we harped on turnover, turnovers in practice every day once we started looking at this information. But again, it's, it's common sense, but you heard it. Common sense is not that common. And really, what are you willing to dedicate your time to in your practice? Because you only got so much time, right? That cup's going to overflow at one point. What are you going to focus on the most? And I'll, I'll say one more thing about this. and I'll turn it back over to you guys. But for me is I like to make one decision that eliminates a thousand decisions. I like to do one thing that makes everything else easier. Well, if that one thing may be causing turnovers, well, that might make everything else you do that much easier because you're always going to have the ball in your hand. Coach, so piggybacking off that, right? So again, you're talking have the ball. So obviously turnovers, we got to find as many ways that we can to, to possibly get turnovers, right? I, I love what you're saying to fourth down, right? I mean, for, fourth down for us, we need to be able to convert fourth downs. We need to instill fear in the defense if I'm an offensive guy because we're going to continue to have the ball. And then I also, I would say you're probably then a proponent of being very, very selective of when you punt. And then also I'm guessing that you want onside kick it nearly every single time. <laughs> you, you know me well. So look, I, right. I was a high school head coach. I, I was fired for a hundred different reasons, but I believe part of it was that it just was ugly. I, I know we, we had played up in a division and we played teams that were much better than us and that we probably wouldn't have won if we played traditionally. But what I was doing at that point in my career was making blanket statements. We're always going to onside kick. We're never going to punt. Uh, I kind of felt like I had to do that so that guys didn't have a shadow of doubt. Like when, when Cortez burnt the boats, like we're not going back. Once I got my hands on edge varsity, that helped me make much more, uh, I'd say, educated decisions on when to and when to not do this, uh, when to and when to not punt. So when I was a head coach, we also didn't have a punt returner because it just the math said this is not worth doing. Having said that, yeah, I, I am a proponent of not doing those things. But now that I have edge varsity, there seems like there are times and places to do all of those things. Uh, and there's ways to do it and there's ways to mask it that was probably didn't look as contrarian as I did it. But uh, yes, have the ball in your hands and any way you can do that is the best way to do it. And I'll, I'll say this too about not punting. Imagine if you were super contrarian, you said we're never going to punt like Kevin Kelly. Think of the time back you get from not having a long stop snap, not having to teach punting, not having to teach blocking for the punt, not having to teach covering for the punt. Like that's gone. And now you can focus on forcing turnovers or whatever else you wanted to focus on fourth down conversions. You've gained that time back because you've completely eliminated an aspect of the game or imagine you're an onside kick team only. 
Well, now you've eliminated uh, kickoff coverage paths, working with the kicker to kick a, a deep left kick, a deep right kick. You've eliminated the chance of a concussion, right? Because these kids aren't running down the field trying to break up a wedge. You take, you can put your smaller, faster guys on the field that maybe don't have any position to place, so and now you get more guys on the field. So there's a lot of other things than other than just field position and recovering the ball that comes into play with some of these decisions when you look at it from a holistic standpoint as a head coach or even as a special teams coordinator. I 100% agree. Um, completely, completely, completely. Um, and, and I think, you know, we, we'd done a lot of that this year when, when we made our state championship run. But one of the big things we'd said was, I mean, look, looking at the analytics, like last year, we, we had hardly punted. So, I mean, you talk about like even just practice time, you know, uh, the, the allocation of practice time. It's like, you know, everybody just goes with the old adage, you know, hey, we're going to work punt team the most. Well, I finally came into a meeting and I'm like, guys, we only punted like 15 times all last season. So I'm like, why are we spending all this time on punt when we, when we hardly do it? So we kind of took that, again, that mentality of, you know, steal time to work on other things. And we spent more time on those critical situations. So we, we didn't just do third down scrimmages. We did like third down. And then however many yards we got, we were going for it on fourth down. So I know this, when, when our kids got into like those quote critical situations, it was old hat because we'd done it so many times and we knew we were going to do it and we knew we were going to go for those things that we ended up converting a lot more of those things. And then when other teams tried to do those situations to us, I felt like we were also a lot better at stopping those situations because that was our game. That's what we did. And honestly, I don't think most teams probably practice that way. They might say they do some of those things, but usually it's a quote, third down scrimmage, you know, Hey, quote, get off the field but they're not doing the actual fourth down stuff where it is a chance where I could lose the ball or they could keep the ball. I love it. Sitting on the edge of my seat, coach. I, I love what you were doing. Love it. <laughs> okay, coach. So here's, here's my uh, conundrum. I don't know if I'm using the word right, but here's my conundrum. Um, and so, like you said, there's almost, you know, going forward on fourth down, you keep the ball, right? So that, that helps uh, not a turnover. But if you give it to the other team on fourth down, or if you get another team give it to you on fourth down, we're counting that as a turnover. So, so where is the risk reward for you on that? Are you counting punting on fourth down as a turnover as well? Yes. Okay. In my own wacky way, anytime you give them the ball, sure, it's a turnover. And and there's this, you know, again, it's it's good to have debates with people because it fosters more digging into the data. So if we don't turn it over on fourth, if we do turn it over on fourth down, aren't they going to score more? Uh, and, well, at least in our data, it was no. So hmm. you know, in our data, it was one score out of 15 times that someone actually scored after a fourth down not being converted. On the flip side, it was like a, a 33% score after you punted. And it was, if you're looking at like the, the, the data of where the ball landed and how many times they scored after a punt from your own end zone, you'd say, why would I ever punt from my own end zone? Because they're scoring every time they get it anyway. And, and granted, again, if you do and they score, you're going to get fired. But if you punt from your own end zone, they're probably going <laughs> to score anyway. So you might as well go for it. But again, if, if you don't convert and they get the ball in the five and they score, well, you're an idiot. Uh, that honestly is probably my favorite analytic. And I know Harp and I, we laugh all the time. Like that's like one of the new measuring sticks. So it used to be, you know, 
I tell the story like it used to have like, you know, movie quotes if you're going to date a girl. Right. So if they if they knew the, the movie quotes and I'm like, all right, this would be a cool girl to date. Right. Harp and I have kind of the, the measuring stick now. So like I'll be watching a game on TV and, the, and they get the ball on the one. And I'm like, Harper, if, if they QB sneak here, you know, the OCs out of it you know he's not that good or whatever we just kind of <laughs> laugh about it like we're like if he if he drops back and he's launching it three times i'm like all right yeah that's an oc that knows what he's doing yeah that's exactly right it, it's it's you know a different way i guess to look at it um so coach you know you talk through your three um you know having the ball it, it, so so the big one to me obviously is scoring when you have the ball what are what are some of the big analytics when scoring when you have the ball because um uh, that sounds good to me. I want to score every time I have the ball. All right. So there, there are five main things. There's a, there's a hundred things, but there's five main things at, at least that we found. And uh, I'm going to relate this back to Indiana Jones. I'm sure you know the scene where he goes into this alley and that dude is swinging that samurai sword and Indiana Jones pulls out his gun and just shoots him and kills him. And, and that's pretty much it. Well, again, that guy was probably working on all his sword tricks his whole life since he was a little kid. He mastered it. He was game planning it. He watched film on Indiana Jones, and then Indiana Jones comes out and shoots. Well, what I'm going to tell you, again, at least for us, were the things that was just, just shooting him. Uh, fun fact that maybe people don't know in that movie that wasn't even supposed to be in the scene, but Indiana Jones had the flu, and he didn't feel like getting in a sword fight with the guy, so they wrote it in that day that he just shot. Anyway, so the five things. The first one we talked about already was win the turnover battle. So if they, you, they ripped the ball out of your hand, uh, you can't score. Thing number two. This one is, is awesome. I actually got the idea for this one from Bill Walsh's The Winning Edge. He talked about in the NFL on the first play of an offensive drive, not every first down. You get the ball. The first play, what do you do with it? In the NFL, it was getting four yards or more. In our games in high school, it was three yards or more. So if you got three yards or more on the first play of your offensive drive, you were going to score like three quarters of the time. Now, that was also kind of dictated by the, the length of your return. So, again, things in motion stay in motion. So, when you ask the question, well, why would that be? For me, it was, well, maybe the offense gets completely and totally pumped up. If their first play, they get three yards or more. So, if you're thinking about this like a coach, which we all are, well, what do I do on my first play of my drive? Do I throw some risky play out that I never tried before, or do I put my best play on the table? And I heard uh, Alex Kirby say this on one of your po podcasts, you know, tendencies are tendencies for a reason. Maybe they're really good at that thing. Well, go with one of your best plays that's going to get you three yards or more. The third thing we talked about was offensive penalties. And for us, the two big ones were holding and false starts. Those were the ones that when that happened, you're not scoring. You do those two things. Oh, no, don't say that, score. coach. Don't say that. <laughs> not the offensive lineman. I'm, I'm a big offensive lineman, coach. The reason I started listening to your podcast was uh, we ran the double wing at my high school. We made shirts that said 24 power. We actually just told teams, like, this is what we're running. We are running this play. Stop it. <laughs> and I was like, I can't believe there's a podcast with the name Run the Power. So I'm with <laughs> you, Coach. I am with you. Uh, so we looked, we dug into that too. Like, when does an offensive penalty occur? Is it on this really long drive? No. <laughs> Most of these penalties were happening in the beginning of a drive. The drive got over four plays for the most part. It seems like offenses calmed down. They never did any of those things. It was really in the beginning of a drive. The fourth thing was big plays. And that was actually the biggest indicator of scoring. So big plays, you, people have categorized these 100 different ways. For us to simplify it, it was anything over 15 yards. 
So people start saying to me, well, maybe it's just worth uh, throwing a bomb every play. So I experiment with Madden, probably not the way to go. I threw a bomb every play and got blown out. Having said that, we dug into it and it was like a big play could be anything. It could be a one-yard bubble that your guy breaks six tackles and, and, uh, and, and gets 15 yards on it. It could be a handoff where your offensive line bowls a hole open the size of a track trailer and now you got 15 yards. What you really need to do is just create space, either vertically or horizontally. So if you're talking air raid, they like to space out the field. If you're talking double wing, you condense everybody and you have field, uh, the wide spots of the field or you blow a hole open. But essentially, it was manufacturing big plays. Now, here's where these things tie in. What we found was you get much more big plays if you get three yards on the first, first play of your drive. Wow. So essentially, was if you got three yards on your first play of your drive, you got a 75% chance of a big play. If you get a big play, you got a 75% chance of scoring. So that's why I put that so early in my, my talk was, yeah, we need to work on that first play of the drive because I think you could control that a lot more than manufacturing a big play. You, it's a controllable thing. Same thing with offensive penalties. If you get an offensive penalty, your chance of getting a big play is drastically reduced. I think it was like 18% of the time if you had an offensive penalty, you were not getting a big play afterwards. So we were really relating everything to the big play, but what was the behavioral science that would lead you to those big plays? Then the last thing about scoring, again, we talked about it before, was just dominating those fourth down conversions. And really just like you guys had done in practice, the same thing we did in practice. I don't think many people are doing that, but make yourself great at converting on fourth down and also prep your defense. Like you said, if you're not going to convert sometimes, sometimes they're going to get the ball on your 30. What are you going to do about it? And just one more thing, going back to that offensive drive, the first play, we would do that too. All right. It's first and 10. You got to get three best of seven offense versus defense. If whoever loses got to clean up the field or they eat lunch uh, last at camp, you know, something like that. But again, incorporating that into your competitive periods or your, uh, your, your situational periods in practice. Which I love that competitive aspect too, because that was, you know, leads into my next question, you know, so knowing these things that you've kind of gathered throughout the years, when do you kind of like educate, you know, obviously your coaching staff, and then are you preaching this stuff all the time with like your players, almost like, Hey, this is kind of our plan to win. And, and here's some things you should kind of, you know, be ready for. We're going to go for it on a lot of our fourth downs. You know, we're going to, we're going to try to make sure we gain three yards. I mean, is that stuff that you kind of reinforce, you know, throughout, how do you kind of install that and, and use that as maybe some of the basis for what we're going to do on offense and defense? Yeah, coach, coach you're, you're nailing it again. You have to emphasize it with your team, with everybody, you know, with the coaching staff, the team, the athletic director, the principal, uh, the school janitor, the local sheriff, everybody's got to understand what's going on. And uh, a good story is when I first had become a head coach, I was trying to paint this picture to the parents saying, we're going to do some unconventional things. And I showed this picture of these two wildebeests. Now, if you know how wildebeests work, I thought they were just getting attacked and eaten by the lions and or crocodiles all the time. But apparently when wildebeest get cornered by anything, if there's two of them, what they do, which is pretty smart, is they stand next to each other, one of them with horns on one side, one of them with horns on the other side. And as they get attacked, they'll spin simultaneously and the horns will go toward that animal. If they stay like that, they will never get eaten. The predator will go away and it's over giant. But the second one of them runs away, the predators attack, the lion, the whatever, come and eat them. So what I had said to the parents was, we're, if we are all in this together, and I'm telling you the why, and I'm telling you what we're going to do, we'll be okay. But the second one of you runs away or goes and complains or goes and says something, that's it. We're going to get eaten by the lions. So to your point, yeah, 
we're going to talk about this stuff. We're going to live and breathe it. And we're going to incorporate it into what we do and who we are so that these kids, you know, by the time we get to the game, it's a habit. It's no longer just, a, oh, my God, I can't believe he's calling a, us to go for it on fourth and six. No, we've done it 100 times already. Now let's just execute what we've done over and over and over again. I love it, Coach. So, so you've talked a couple times about edge varsity. That's something I've never heard of, and, and you act and you said that you use it quite a bit. What, um, how does that work? Is that something you guys have on the sidelines? Is that, um, is that something that you're looking at before every drive? What is that? Because that it's really interesting to me. Yeah. So at the high school level, you're allowed to use software during the game. So essentially, uh, you know, like the eight ball, you spin it. Does she love me? Yes or no? Well, essentially, <laughs> right. I'm on the sideline. I'm in the booth. I'm next, standing next to the offensive coordinator. Well, as soon as we get the ball, I'm punching in down, distance, timeouts, score. Before the game even starts, I've put in relative comparisons between our team and their team. Is our defense much better than their run offense? Is our pass defense much worse than their pass offense? How is our kicking game? How fat, how many plays do we normally run a game? So this thing computes all of that. It has data from hundreds of thousands of high school games. And what it essentially does with all that data is it tells you based on this situation of the game, teams that did X win this percent of the time. So we're suggesting you do this. Now this, the tool will tell you to run or pass, but you really don't have to pay attention to that. Let your coaches coach. But it will tell me on first down that fourth and three is when we would go forward in this range. So before the series starts, I say to the, the offensive coordinator, well, we get to fourth and three, we go. So now he's calling his plays to get us to fourth and three. Wow. And he knows before the series starts that we go. It'll tell you when you should go for two. Uh, if you're really savvy, you could use it to figure out when you should or shouldn't return a punt, when you should or shouldn't kick an onside kick. These are, are features inside the tool. But again, for you know, a staff that's just learning how to do this, you try and keep it simple. Now, I thought that was the, the beauty of the tool until after the game is over, you send them your data from Huddle. So you just export it, you send it to them, and then they grade for you your win and loss probability after every single play. And they send it back. They'll tell you your best calls of the game. They'll tell you your worst calls of the game. And then they'll tell you the plays that had the biggest impact during the game of your execution. So this is where I was saying, oh, my God, like the, the game piece is like – 2% of all the thing that's going on. What I care about now is this is when I figured out that an offensive penalty will destroy you because the win probability sinks or calling a timeout at the wrong time and losing that time off the clock. Bam, like that, that also kills your win probability. So now I was able to take the, that's those statistics and put it into a story every week with the coaching staff and like show pictures or show video and say, here's exactly Here's exactly what happened, and here's why it happened. And now I'm proving to you, or we're proving to ourselves, that this tool's pretty accurate, and now we can coach with more confidence every single game after that. I never thought of that, but, but I mean, if, if your guy knows on first down, hey, all I've got to get is, is six yards, then he's calling that drive completely different than, you know, I've always said, you know, hey, if we can feel comfortable getting fourth and two, then on third and five, like you said, hey – you know, defense doesn't know if it's run or pass. They've got to defend the whole field. It can't just be at five yards. But I, I've never gone two steps further than that and thought, as an offensive coordinator, if all I've got to do is in three downs know that it's six yards, now I can really do a bunch of different things. Yeah, and Coach, when you, when you first start talking to people about this, they'll say, all right, don't, don't talk to me until I get to our own uh, 45, right? Then, I'll, then we'll have this conversation. 
And I'm saying, look, that's not what the tool does. I might talk to you at the 25. Now, if you're not comfortable with that, then I'm just going to leave you alone. So let's, let's take this, these baby steps together. You know, again, I'll get on the roller coaster with you. I'm not jumping off, but you tell me, do you want to go on the, the kitty ride or do you want to go on the, the crazy great adventure ride together? So, <laughs> and the, the way the tool works and, it, you know, I, the, the coach that I was coaching for, uh, he's been a high school head coach for 35 years. He's won state championships. He played in the league. Uh, he has no coaches he knows in the league. He was a relatively conservative guy. So we, when we started this journey together, what the tool does, it gives you a threshold. It says, if you go for it, you have a 6% chance more of winning than if you punted it. So it gives you the percent threshold more. You know, I have this much better of chance of winning. So we said, look, what do you feel comfortable with? He's like 6%. All right, cool. Now, if you're as crazy as I was, I go on 0.1%. Like, give me, give me 1.1%, we're going for it. <laughs> so we started at 6%, and then I started seeing that he was willing to go for it lower than that. So we lowered it down to 3% and then 2%. So as, we, as he gained more success, he became a lot more comfortable with going for it on fourth down. Dude, I'm, I'm hooked. I'm telling you. I think I'm going uh, to be all about this thing, Harp. I think I might go 0.01%. <laughs> And I think the other thing to think about two coaches, like, uh, you know, the coaches are smart. They know what they're doing. This tool is a guide and it's, there's times where it's not always right. So a good example of it was fourth and one. It's telling us to go. We go off sides. It's fourth and six. It's telling us to go, but our coach is smart. He knows our kids are freaked out. They're not going to, they're not going to convert because they just went off sides. So we punted the football. Yeah. The post game report said you made a bad decision, but he made the right decision. It was the, the perfectly right decision because our kids' heads were not in it after they just jumped. Coach, what about, you know, you talk explosives. So obviously I know you've done a, a bunch of research on big plays, explosive plays. You know, what are some things that you found, you know, what are the best times to maybe go for those things as far as like shot plays? You know, do you have any kind of, you know, maybe mini hints, you know, spots on the field, down in distance, things like that. Because I think everybody kind of falls in the, oh, you know, hey, it's middle of the field you know, 40, you know, minus 40 to 40 someplace in there. And they'll say, you know, oh, second and short, I got to quote waist down, but the defense knows that too. So I'm always kind of wondering, you know, what are the best times to maybe, you know, try for some of these explosive plays? So what we found was that there wasn't a, a, a silver bullet, so to say. Uh, there were spots on the field where more big plays occurred than others. So I'll say for us, the biggest ones were between your own 30 and 40 and between there. 40 and 30. So those were the two big spots. People really weren't going for or getting big plays when they were backed up in their own end zone. So, and again, these were not, there's not big plays on every single drive, but the ones that happened, the majority of them again happened between the 30 and the 40 and the 40 and the 30. Now, the other thing we found that a big play didn't necessarily mean a long throw. Uh, so we started doing you know that picture of Ted Williams uh, where he's saying, like, I'm only going to swing if the ball is here. You know, and Warren, Warren Buffett said, I'm only going to bet on this stock if it's in that spot. So we made a similar heat map saying, OK, where do big plays occur? How far is the ball thrown on the passing play? And what's the completion percentage in those areas? And what we found was, I'll tell you where it's really not good to, to do this, is if you have a team, well, at least in our games, again, all the quarterbacks are right handed, but the left deep side of the field, like far and left seem to be a dead spot. But for whatever reason, teams threw the ball there more than anywhere else. So they were taking these shots, but the, the, the reward was very low. Shorter and to the right 
always seemed to work, regardless if it was the, the big field or the small field. So big field would be if you're going for a longer type pass. I'm sorry, a, a shorter type pass. Uh, big field, sorry, small field would be if you're going for a shorter type pass to the right. And then big field would be, I'm just going to throw a quick screen to my right. Boom, the guy catches the ball at one yard, and then he takes off off the sideline. So I, I think those were the bigger things for us is what not to do as opposed to what to do, because the what to do could be anything. It was more of the what not to do was the scenario of don't throw the ball deep and to the left. And if you're thinking about it from a defensive standpoint, that might help you too. Like, okay, why am I covering this deep side of the field where this quarterback can't even possibly throw it? Why would I ever do that? So coach kind of around those, those same, that same questionnaire that coach was talking about with, with explosives. Uh, I'm still mesmerized by the, the P and 10, you know, the, the first, first play of the drive. Three yards or more is all you have to have in, in a basically, like you said, 70, I think it was 75% chance um, that, that, you know, you score. So that seems like, you know, cherry picking to me. That's, that's my kind of thing. So if with that being the case, you know, I think there's a lot of OCs that, that kind of script out the first drive or, or script all these different things. In your opinion, are, are you a guy or, or do you want your team scripting out? you know, 15 P and 10 plays that are going to all, you know, like you said, get you those three yards to, to give yourself this good of a chance or by doing that, does that mess up the numbers? That, that's a real good question. I think I would have to segregate it now to I'm going to script out my drive, but I'm going to script it out based on first down. So first down of the series. So if I have a 10 play script and I only get to three on my first series, I might have a secondary script for the next time because, yeah, that first play, you may think you're setting them up or seeing what they're doing on your play number four. But meanwhile, that play number four is now the first play of your drive and you may be sacrificing a score. And that score may be the actual win of the game. You don't know. Now, I know you may be thinking, well, in the long haul, I figured out uh, what they're doing. We motion to three and one or if we come out empty and I'm finding out early. But again, I feel like you only get so many chances to score. Don't waste one. So, uh, you know, kind of the other thing is, are, what are your thoughts on, you know, okay, so here's a good one to me. What are your thoughts on, everyone always says, there's a turnover. The first thing you're supposed to do on a turnover when you're on offense is, is go for the deep ball. Some kind of a trick play, some kind of a chunk, chunk it deep. You know, let's go for the big shot. Is that actually beneficial or would it be more beneficial to run whatever inside zone and go get four yards? I think <laughs> it's a tough question because right? football knowledge tells you that, right? The defense is running on the field. They were having Gatorade. They got to put the helmet back on. Who knows what was going on on the sideline? Now they're not set. You take the shot. Uh, but every defensive coach in America is screaming, they're going to take a shot. So, <laughs> right. It, you know, I, I think at that point, based on no evidence at all, I'd say it's a 50-50 toss-up. But we do know the evidence of getting that first down. So maybe inside zone, I'm sorry, getting that for four yards or three yards, maybe that inside zone is the way to go. Maybe they're, maybe they're not even expecting that, and now it's much easier to run inside zone and get five yards or four yards than it was before on a, a punt after a punt or a, over a fourth down conversion. Yeah, that's why I was curious because, you know, you take that shot play, that's a huge, to me, a, a risk that you're saying, hey, we're either going to score a touchdown or it's going to be zero yards normally on a play like that. And so if you go for zero yards, then like you said, your percentage goes way down of actually scoring on that drive. A hundred percent. Yep. And, and the other thing I'll say, coach, is that 
I had a conversation like this earlier today is you got to know yourself, right? If that shot play, if you're really good at completing that shot play, well, then do it. But if you stink at it, then don't do it. And I'll give you a, a real life example. Again, the guy I'm coaching with, he's one of the best in the business, definitely top coach I've coached with my whole life uh, in terms of knowing the game, experience of the game, the people he knows. So we, we have the ball in the fourth quarter. We're winning by a touchdown. There is about, let's say, two minutes and 30 seconds left. The other team has no timeouts, and we have the ball. And I say, look, let's just take the ball. It's third and six. Run the ball. Run the clock. We'll take a delay game on the punt, and we'll eat up the clock. We decide to pass the ball. The receiver is open. He drops the ball. They get the ball back. They go on an 11-play drive and almost win the game. They get into our territory, and they commit offensive penalties. Game over. So we watched the film the next day and the coach said, look, I made the right call. And he did. The wide receiver was wide open, except it hit him in the face and he dropped it. I said, coach, you definitely made the right call. But now let's look at our percentage of us actually completing that pass. And it was 50%. So as a coach, I would have made the same call he did. I made the right call. I put the guy in the right spot. The quarterback hit him in the face with the ball. He should have caught it. But when you look at it as a holistic perspective is, well, in reality, how good are we at executing the play we said we were going to execute in the first place? So I think it ties back to your point of, yeah, uh, do you take the shot? You can if you're pretty good at it because it's worth rolling the <laughs> dice. But it's, it's actually less of a risk rolling the dice because you've been pretty good at that play. Okay, so here's my other big one. <clears throat> While big plays are important, if you go, and I think you probably saw this with the Chiefs a bunch too because you know they almost never covered this year, but – you know, you want to score, obviously. You want to have plays over 15 yards. But if you're scoring on the first play or you're scoring on the second play of the drive, you're also killing your, you know, you're doing well with scoring when you have the ball, but you're not doing well with time of possession. How does that, how does that work out? Is it beneficial even to score on the first play? Or, or does that erase everything because you don't have that time of possession? I Coach, I wouldn't, I wouldn't turn down a scoring opportunity unless it's <laughs> right. like a, one of those things and it's like the fourth quarter and you could run the clock out. Uh, I wouldn't turn it down. I, again, I think there's other ways to get the ball back other than to have a, a long drive that eats up the clock in terms of converting on fourth downs, uh, not fumbling a punt, you know, forcing a turnover. I would focus more on that. I, I, you'd have to, I, in my mind, I think it would be pretty sk- skilled to control. If you're that good, you could control when you score and just, just keep scoring, baby. <laughs> all right i got one more for you coach um two point plays all right so obviously you know the the, to, the tool or whatever it, it said you know there's going to be times when you you got to go for two and and i always kind of struggle you know if it's going to tell me to do that you know two three maybe four times a game and i listen to it and i do it you know what do you think is kind of the sweet spot for for having you know two point plays how many to carry you know just kind of knowing you know doing this over several years and I'm guessing you've probably gone for two a good number of times. What is that sweet spot for how many two point plays you, you should carry as an offensive coordinator? So I'm going to answer this in two ways. Way number one is with the tool. Way number two is without the tool with the tool. It seems like the tool is almost always telling you to go for two. Now I've been a coach for a long time. I've been in the booth for a long time. And I have my little chart that says, if you're down by this, do this, if you're up by this, do this. This tool basically spits in the face of that and is essentially saying, go for two. Again, it's most of the time. It's not all the time. I'm I'm oversimplifying it. 
But as I talk to other coaches about this, who are using the tool longer than me, what they like about it is that if you go for too early, you could screw up the other team's entire identity. So say you're playing a team that always goes for one, you score first and go for two. Now, who are these guys? Right? Like, what are they going to do now? Now they have to go for two. Uh, and, and just mathematically speaking, if you have a 50% chance of going for it on two, then you should always go for it on two. Because at the, if they're always kicking an extra point, well, now it's 14-14, it's 28-28. There's no reason to not go for it on two because you may get it 50% of the time. Not to mention at the high school level, working on a long snap, the hold, the kick, there's so many variables. But again, uh, it's, I, and this year, I did not tell the head coach to go for two. I ignored the tool because we, we were taking baby steps with this thing. And I, I wasn't that aggress- aggressive. Now, we did go for tool when it's statistic- if we were behind or if the other team had gone for two or if we needed to catch up and the point differential said to do it. But if, if we scored the first touchdown and it was 6 nothing, I did not say go for two. I was not that brave. When I was a, a head coach myself, uh, yes. But again, I also had gotten fired in a year and a half, again, for a million reasons, but it just made it so much easier. Hey, this crazy guy's going for two after he scores the first touchdown. <laughs> now I'll talk about it without the tool. When you, there's been a lot of questions about what teams have done in the NFL, and I do like how their guys are breaking things down. But the, the simplest way I'll say it is whatever can minimize the opportunity for failure is the way to go. Now, let's talk about this in terms of plumbing. If you have a straight pipe with no fittings on it, uh, there's so many less opportunities for a leak than if you have a pipe with 15 valves on it. Right, Every one of those valves can leak. So if going for two eliminates the option of missing an extra point or having to line up again, or kick an extra field goal, or to score another touchdown, then I would recommend going for two. It's as many If you can eliminate variables and eliminate the amount of times you need to score or do something, then I say go for two, especially in people looking at this one from when they're behind. I'd also say maybe if you're ahead, if you're ahead and you go for two, and now it forces them to score twice or forces them to do things they don't want to do, then you go for two. So here's one that I've always in, – in, in always heard and it's never made a whole lot of sense to me but i've just gone with it because that was the conventional football wisdom and maybe this is just so far out there that it's not even a a good question to ask you because you'd have gone for two on all of them but i've got you know i've got the coaches where we're down by eight in the uh whatever second quarter and we score and i'm saying hey when we score here are we going for two and they all always look at me like I'm an idiot and say, "No, you don't. You don't chase points in the in the second quarter. We would only go for two if it were the fourth quarter." And and something that to me, you know, never made sense. Whether we get the two now or we get the two later, it seems like we need the two. But is there any? Has there been any analytics off of it's better to go for two in a certain quarter than it is in another quarter? So I, I, again, I'll answer it in two ways. I think from the edge varsity tool at least from what I've seen during games, it's going to probably tell you to go for two most of the time. From what I've seen in from NFL data analytics guys post-game, it looks like they want to take that risk earlier than later, meaning I need to figure out right now how the rest of this game is going to go, so I need to go for two now to make up that point differential. And now for them, most of those conversations are happening in the, the third or fourth quarter. Because, you know, you're not really getting those point differentials earlier in the game as much. But at at least that's what I'm seeing is they take the risk early. This way they don't have to make a more complex and risky decision later on. Like uh, your guys are probably freaking out a lot more in the fourth quarter with two seconds left going for two than they are in the third quarter with 12 minutes left. Hmm. So that's kind of I guess that's what I'm thinking right now. Like if okay, if I'm saying I'm going to 
we have an offense that's going to score, say, 42 a game, right? That's six touchdowns. So I should probably have, you know, and if I obviously if I'm kicking it or six or seven touchdowns, I should be carrying six or seven two point plays just in case. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. All right. Yeah, good. <laughs> that And that's honestly, again, that's that's been my thinking. And to me, again, when you, when you do this stuff, too, I think it forces you to plan beforehand. So if I know that going in, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm always going to be carrying six to seven, two point plays. I'm going to start working on those this summer and I'm going to have those things ready to roll. And then when I use one, right. Okay. Now we will use the play game, but I'm just going to change the way we present it. So, I mean, I, I think again, it increases, you talk about what the percentage is of going forward on to, if I've pre-planned it and we've worked on it even more than the other teams work on it, and we're super confident in those plays, my percentages of getting it are probably even better than the tools telling me. Yeah. And coach, I know, I know I kind of said, yeah, about having six or seven plays. I thought you meant run it six or seven times. I guess you just need as many as you need to, that you can execute effectively. Uh, I'm thinking back to another podcast I listened to. It was Neil deGrasse Tyson. So why would he care about football? Well, he had another guy come in who was an advisor to Chip Kelly at Oregon. And he said he made a deal with Chip Kelly. He said, I'll help you with data analytics if you give me uh, four free season pet, uh, tickets to the, to the whole season. So they made the deal. And the guy basically went with two simple premises. Go for it for two every single time and don't punt between your own, like between 30 to 30. So uh, Chip Kelly ended up like listening to what he was saying. The guy, the, this mathematician thinks that it helped them win more games, whatever. But you, you know Oregon's uh, success. But essentially, that is an over, overly simplified way of saying everything we've been talking about here. But yeah, that guy's premise was always go for two because at, at, at the math will add up over time. It's going to add up. And he's probably not probably he's absolutely way smarter than I am. I, granted, I'm using a tool during a game, but he just mapped it out. Always go for two. Harp, I'm sold. To me, it's a fun <laughs> way. To, I mean, to me, to, uh, I just, you know, again, thinking it from from my mind. And again, I'm probably a little bit crazy, too, but. I mean, I just, I, I love that, that gambler aspect of it. I think it's fun. I think it's fun to watch. I think the kids have fun with it. And I think like you've said, coach, it, it takes so much of the, the fear out of it. Hey, we, we know what we're doing at least, you know, most of the time and, and you're confident in it. And I, and I just think it, it just becomes a fun way to coach. I mean, I, I know, you know, be, being a special teams guy, being an offensive guy, I just, it just makes makes coaching in this job a lot more fun. Coach, I gotta I gotta relay this back to uh, the great Tony Holler, the feed the cats coach, who talks about quick practices and and just keeping your players fresh. Just think about if you're using this these analytics in the right way, and you're not overfilling your cup, how much less you would have to do to keep your players and your coaches fresh. I mean, this is really a good foundation for a feed the cats type football practice. If you're focusing on turnovers or winning first down, think of how many other things you don't need to put all of your emphasis on. Amen. Uh, I'm with 100%. you, Walls. I, I'm sold as well, Walls, to some of it. I'm, I'm too big of a coward <laughs> for all of it, Walls, but, <laughs> but I'm, I'm all for going for it on fourth down. Uh, I'm all for that for sure. Um, Coach, it, it, this has been awesome. I, like I said, I've had uh, some guys I really, really look up to and, and, you're the guy basically they've wanted to have on the podcast they wanted to know about a lot of these a lot of these questions are you know half are from me half are from guys that have been saying hey i need these 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 questions asked so uh i really really appreciate it coach um and and you've helped us probably more than than you could ever know i appreciate it. and that's that's humbling uh i never really thought i'd be the guy to answer these questions and like there's so much more out there there's so much more data but uh 
that is humbling to hear. So thank you very much. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank all of our sponsors. You guys make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.